Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today we'd like to start by saying happy birthday, dear son Adam. And uh, I hope you like spice because that's what the program is today, a spicy program. It sure is. Mostly Indian spice, but spice generally. Yes. Well, let's start with spice, spice baby. And and who's 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 the Kanchen lady? Kanchen Koya. There we go. I thought that the title of this book was rather interesting. Uh, no punctuation, just spice, spice, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> written by Kanchen Koya, doctor, PhD, Kanchen Koya, who is a Harvard-trained molecular biologist. It seems like, you, you know, I'm not surprised that the book is so thoroughly researched and so well organized and presented. <laughs> but, but you also have a food blog that uh, is called Spice Spice Baby. And as I said to you, we get all kinds of books on um, both spices and uh, Indian cuisine. Uh, but this one stands out. I mean, you're giving us Everything's organized and straight spoken, you know, and presented. And uh, so it's, I mean, your scientific background has to have something to do with that. But what you're really doing is taking all this wealth of material and um, and making the reader understand why we're talking about all this stuff, right? Yes, well, I'm so grateful um, to hear that you feel that way because that was very much my intention and I felt like it was something missing from a lot of spice books. I wanted to make, um, I wanted to present spices in a systematic way and to encourage their use, to share their health benefits, kind of, you know, really focusing on the science. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really glad that that comes through because that was very much my intention um, in doing the book this way. Well, I certainly start out with agreeing with your food philosophy, which is um, uh, Mike, Michael Pollan's, with a little additional twist, eat real yes. food, not too much, mostly plants, and you add, and always spiced. Well, I'm a believer yeah. in this, by the way, so you, to, to me, you're preaching to the, to the uh, uh, what is it? The choir. The choir, because... I mean, I'm, I'm really big into spices. <laughs> my, I mean, I, I do fresh turmeric, you know, in my tea. Oh, I mean, I, yeah. So. But anyhow, um, in your introduction here, um, you have like, what would we call these rules or guidelines? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there, there is common sense, but you know, half, half the time you don't encounter people writing with common sense. But this is very valuable. Spices, take good care of them and use them often. Baby food, no, that's a good one because hardly anybody writes about baby food anymore. Uh, the new rule is that there are no rules, which is how I raised mine. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, and salt, less is more. Well, I'm, I'm actually not so much in that because I really like salt a lot. Not, I yes, I think that was that was intended for kind of babies and who are being weaned um, onto solid food. 
So I was just suggesting, you know, that use the spices to flavor the food instead of excess salt because we know for very young babies, there is something, there is such a thing as too much salt. Their kidneys aren't necessarily mature enough right. um, to handle it. So I think it's a great way to add flavor to baby food without kind of inundating it with salt. Well, my pediatrician um, and, and, and a friend of mine who was uh, in, in the field, I couldn't believe it, but um, our son Adam hated baby food because, well, I mean, you know, um, it's so bland. It's, it's awful. <laughs> and so the yeah. pediatrician told me to put salt in it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Some salt is fine, like, you know, the kind that you would eat at home. I think what people are, what people kind of warn against for babies is the very excess salt-filled kind of processed foods. Mm-hmm. But, you know, salt that you use at home in regular cooking is just fine. And I just wanted to say the name Spice Spice Baby was really influenced and inspired by this idea of kind of giving babies spices and more flavor. So it's a bit of a celebration of spices, but also like literally I'm like, let's spice up, you know, baby's food. Let's make it more interesting. Yes, it's pretty awful. I'm, the first time I actually tried to taste it, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was really right. awful. Um, so then you say oils, ditch the processed ones. Sugar, I'm a firm believer in this, unnecessary evil to be managed. I mean, I remember, like, I I was so, how, how, I mean, parsimonious with sugar. I didn't, I don't mm. eat sugar myself. I don't like it much. And so I, I didn't give it to our son much. So the first time he tasted sugar, he was in seventh heaven and couldn't get <laughs> enough of it. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, vegetables, more is more, and meat humanely and consciously raised for the sake of animals on our planet. Well, I think those are all good rules to live by. Um, I think so too. Thank you. I'm glad you agree. Yeah, and, and I, the illustrations, photography, and illustrations of this book are wonderful too. Um, it must have been fun putting together. In the first page there with all the um, different spoons, with all the different spices. Yes. You know, it's really, it's really, I'm really glad that um, you noticed those. And I will just say that because we uh, we published this book, I self-published this book via crowdfunding. So it's a bit of an unconventional route to publishing. But, you know, I feel um, kind of, I just wanted to give hope to people who don't have the resources to hire the, the best illustrator in the business or the best food photographer in the business. Um, my food photographer had actually never photographed food before. Oh, no. My illustrator had never done a cookbook before. And my food stylist is an amazing, um, has an amazing eye for design, but had actually never also styled food. So I think when people see the cookbook, they often comment on how pretty the pictures are, how well laid out it is, how beautiful the illustrations are. But it's a first-time cookbook for the whole team, um, and I had to do that because I was, you know, trying to bootstrap my way through the publication process, um, and it just turned out so well. So I kind of just wanted to share that in case anyone is trying to do a book and feels overwhelmed by, you know, um, gathering all these very cost-intensive resources that mm-hmm. are hard to come by if you're not working with a big publisher. 
Well, let's let's explain what people are going to get from this book. I mean, well, you first of all, you have um, a list of spices. I didn't count them, but I mean, just fifteen. Yep, fifteen, 15 spices um, from turmeric to fennel. You know, and yep. and let's turn over the page, and here we have a typical page, and it's one of my favorites, as I said, uh, turmeric. Mm-hmm. And so you have this is the the spice turmeric, and then you have um, a, a definition of what it is, and you relate it to your Ayurvedic um, medicine. Then you say what it is, and you have a description exactly where it comes from, what it is. Then you have a whimsical drawing. <laughs> then you yeah. have flavor, and you describe the flavor, and then you list your favorite pairings, such as with scrambled eggs, with um, a popcorn. Uh, yes, I was going to say popcorn yeah, is a good one. And turmeric lattes are another one. And then you have notes. And then why science says it's good for you, and I think that's really important because people just take this in and, and don't really understand it. So, right. so you now have an explanation, and you have the credentials to explain that, what it is. Here, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, brain health boosting, gut healing, anti-anxiety, anti-depressant. Boy, it's a good spice. It is a good spice. And what I really tried to do was when I broke down the benefits and talked about what the studies show, you know, I'm a scientist by training, so I looked at it very objectively. Because you can, you can Google turmeric and you'll find loads and loads of articles claiming all sorts of benefits. Right. And I say, you know, an early stage study in animal models has shown this benefit. We still need to do larger human trials. So I'm trying to be very cautious about the evidence as well. Um, and really kind of laid out objectively, which again I felt was missing from the spice world. And you, I mean, you make a point of saying um, this should not be a substitute for medical advice by a professional. Oh, yes, absolutely. This is really celebrating food as medicine. Um, spices are just so glorious, even if they didn't have any medicinal properties. They're colorful and aromatic and such um, incredible flavor enhancers. I really see the health benefits as kind of the cherry on top. And I think it's really important to educate people about those benefits and kind of motivate them to embrace this class of natural, you know, um, kind of magical ingredients in the kitchen. So I was really trying to do all of that, but also with a very objective eye towards the science around the benefits. And, you know, you do something in the note here that I, I guess I'm always asking these people who come forward with all these superfoods, um, right. How much of it do you have to do to get these benefits? <laughs> yes, it's a and, very important question, and I get asked it all the time as well. Yes, and then you try to tackle that too. Yes, I did. I said, you know, if you're suffering from an inflammatory condition and you really need to bring that inflammation under control, you're probably not going to be able to achieve a therapeutic dose through your diet. And you may want to talk to your physician about a curcumin supplement, which is the active compound in turmeric. But as a preventative, you know, incorporating it into all kinds of dishes is a great strategy. So, yes, again, I'm not going to say, you know, a half a teaspoon of turmeric a day is going to cure all ills. 
Um, a half a teaspoon of cinnamon a day actually is quite powerful for blood sugar control. So it varies based on the spice. But I did try to cover a lot of that and make it kind of useful as well for the reader in that sense. Well, you know, I think that, that after the introduction of all this, um, you then you follow it with recipes and broke it into interesting categories. I mean, my favorite was baby purees because nobody talks about those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really wanted to write a cookbook for the whole family, like literally from babies who are being weaned onto solids all the way to, you know, grandparents who come over for a meal. I, I, I feel like if we can sit around the family together and eat one meal, that is really a very powerful thing. Um, so even for the baby purees, I have suggestions on how to convert them into family-friendly soups or stews. So you're really not cooking five different meals for five different people. Right, which is a good thing. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and then with some of your um, recipes, you actually, uh, you you say with each recipe uh, what it's good for. Like, I'm looking at butternut squash and spinach lasagna with nutmeg. And then after there is babies, toddlers, kids, and adults. Mm-hmm. So that takes the guessing work out of that, too. Yes, try to be as clear as possible. So well, you are. Knew, you know, who, yeah, who was kind of, who it's suitable for, exactly. Now, where did you get most of these recipes? Um, gosh, they are a collection of just inspiration, uh, things I grew up eating that I tweaked for a more Western kind of global audience. You know, one of the things I really felt, uh, there is this misconception that if you need to incorporate spices, you need to cook ethnic food, you need to cook curries and very involved recipes, and I wanted to demystify that and kind of just make it simpler for people to use spices in everyday cooking. So a lot of the recipes are familiar dishes like lasagna or bolognese or chicken fingers or fish cakes, uh, meatballs, you know, things that we eat around the world uh, that aren't necessarily of a particular nationality, um, but you can still spice them up. Um, and so you'll see that there are a few Indian recipes in the book that are from my childhood or things that I just kind of love to eat and made up my own healthy version. But a lot of them are just staples that I know kids love. That was always a big, um, very important criterion for me that it should be kid-approved uh, because if the family is sitting around the table, the kids need to eat too. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just, you know, from my own experiences growing up, feeding my children, a big part of, of a big portion of the recipes are just favorites of my son, who is now six years old. So really a combination of kind of my own life and my life as a mother now. Uh-huh. Now, you're, you're also quite creative and, and entertainingly humorous. I'm, <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking at one upside down called Noodle Zoodle. <laughs> Noodle Zoodle yes, Bolognese. Right. Always trying to sneak in more vegetables when I can in a fun and kind of non-intimidating way for the younger members of the family. Well, you, you haven't run into that. Um, I mean, periodically children will just go totally in the opposite direction of what you're trying to do. I mean, who was I was just reading? A lot of, of food people find their children go through a, a phase where they only eat white food. I've never figured that out. I never had that problem. You remember that there was a whole book about somebody who hid vegetables. Exactly. <laughs> yes, the whole no, book is I mean, about I... how, how to hide the vegetables in the rest of the dinner. <laughs> 
Right. No, I know. And, you know, there are there are some really picky kids. I mean, it's the thing. And there are uh, a huge community of moms on social media kind of sharing ideas about how to how to navigate that. Um, yeah, I think there are some kids who genuinely have, like, you know, they're super tasters. Like, things taste very intense to them, so they really prefer the bland foods. But I think exposure, continuous exposure and modeling, so eating what you want them to eat with them is hugely powerful in getting them to embrace new foods. My kids eat a lot of things, but they don't eat everything. And the things they don't eat, I, you know, I, I'm like, we're learning to like those things. And I'll just keep exposing them and keep celebrating them and keep eating them myself. And eventually, I hope they will catch on. Yeah, I think part of the problems is pediatricians. Uh, I mean, they have so many rules uh, and right. that are not they're not right. I mean, like well, uh, they're just based on nothing. They're not really based on solid science, and then they kind of became dogma. So, yeah, I think some of the more progressive pediatricians now will tell you just anything is fine as long as you avoid honey before the age of twelve months. Pretty much everything else is fair game. Uh-huh. No, well, I mean, our um, our daughter-in-law had this big tome attached to the refrigerator, which included no wheat before two years old. Oh, wow. I mean, it's awful. No fish before two years old. I mean, it's ridiculous. Right, and those things are being turned on their heads head too now because the oh, whole sure. recommendation that you should avoid peanuts, for example. You exactly. Know. And now it's like the earlier the exposure, the better. In fact, you can reduce allergy rates by 80% um, just offering peanuts to six- to eight-month-old babies. So I think it's an evolving area, and people need to kind of just relax a little bit more is how I feel. I know, about I know. introducing food to babies. Well, we used to be relaxed about it. I mean, I don't know right. what they call the the new range of, of allergies as a result of that kind of stupidity. stupidity. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Why, why, why don't you so. let us know what you really think, sweetie? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking, <laughs> as I was intrigued by the maple zatar. Zatar is one of my most favorite things, anyhow. Uh, roasted oh, chickpeas. Oh, do you know, if you like zatar, you know it's good on beets. Oh, yes, absolutely, yum. <laughs> but so, the, the would this really, um, how long does this chickpeas last? I forget you said, was this the one when you say could last? Was that spiced something else? A couple, six months, I was rather shocked. Which one was that? Do you ever, uh, oh, uh, no, this one, well, this doesn't last very long in our house. Because once it's made, everybody kind of inhales it. But, um... Probably in the fridge for a few days. Yeah, definitely not very long because, you know, it, it, they've been, uh, they're roasted. So kind of like the same, I would assume the same amount of time as uh, a good hummus would last in the fridge a uh-huh. few days. Um, they do tend to be just better enjoyed right away because of the texture, um, being oven roasted and whatnot. But, yeah, I think, you know, they're, they're just a great little finger food snack, great to put in a lunchbox for the kids or even grown-ups. Uh, great kind of cocktail finger food as well. So I, I, I love the, uh, the tiki's, the potato, potato oh, you, pancakes. You love yes, those. Yes. I'm, I'm going I'm to make those at, for, for our grandchildren. Thanks. They love granddads. Oh, I hope they love them. Yeah, they're a childhood favorite of mine. So <laughs> I have vivid memories of taking them on picnics um, with my whole family. Well, yeah, and you have a whole section on snacks. 
Yes, so try to cover all the different, you know, meals of the day, um, the baby purees, dinner, lunch boxes, snacks, desserts, and even spiced remedies, which I would say is probably my favorite section. Oh, yes. Um, just laying out how you can use these um, amazing spices and ways to kind of help yourself through some common conditions, you know, like the common cold or an upset stomach or just feeling very bloated and heavy after a meal and kind of leveraging the healing power of some of these spices in teas or um, other concoctions. Well, I think you've done a bang-up good job here. <laughs> and I really... Uh, Thank you. And I hope that, uh, people really look up this book called Spice Spice Baby and follow you also on your blog, huh? Yes, I'm on the blog. I'm on social media, very active on Instagram. And um, I will now be uh, co-creating videos with a BuzzFeed Tasty really? around kind of spices and celebrating them more. Yes, so hopefully lots more to share and people can find me in a few different places. Well, Kenshin Koya, um, you are a whiz. <laughs> oh, thank you. Such a, So fun chatting with you both. Yeah, and pretty. You're so pretty, too. That's oh. good. So to be photogenic. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And blushing, thank you. And is that your son in one of those photos? Is gorgeous. That is my son, yes. Gorgeous. I, I always get him uh, grinding cardamom for me every time we make muffins or pancakes. He loves it. Yeah, he's so cute. Okay, well, good luck with you. All your projects, you're going to be very, very busy. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. It was really a pleasure. Thanks, Ken Chen. Okay, bye now. Bye. So we hope you will enjoy this venture into the world of much, much spice and much thought behind it, incidentally, because this lady's a, some, something of a specialist in food. Right. So pay, pay attention. <laughs> re, 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 rewind to the beginning of the track and listen to it all over again. And we'll be back with more spice right after the break. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Our next guest is Nick Sharma, and his book, Season, has been getting so much play and laudation. Is that a word? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's a laudable effort anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, no, um, and it's, it's, and it's, it's a delightful book. Spelt L-A-U, not L-O-R. <laughs> so, anyhow, um, he he just... He makes magic out of all these recipes. I think that you'll find that you do yourself a big favor by buying the book. Here's beautiful food. A book, by the way, that has been getting quite a lot of attention, people raving about it, that food is is your story. Maybe you could start by telling us your interesting background um, and why this has influenced your cooking. Sure. So food has always been my story, and I think it was something that I realized once um, 
I got older. Um, my family, I come from a family that is very untraditional. My dad's from the north. He was raised in a conservative Hindu family. And my mom's from the west coast of India, and she grew up in Bombay, but a family from a Portuguese colony called Goa. I love, she, I love and, that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And she was raised Roman Catholic, and they had a love marriage, and I was born out of that relationship. So um, the food that I grew up eating was unexpectedly different. It was not the way you would get food at a traditional, either a traditional Indian Roman Catholic home or a traditional Hindu home. It was a mix-up of everything. So you had a little bit of the food that my dad grew up with and then a little bit of the food that my mom grew up with. And so from a really young age, I was exposed to, you wouldn't really expect to, to see on the dining table. And I think that kind of touched me in a way for what I'm doing right now. Yeah, and now, then, yeah, there you, you were uh, really understanding the the concept of of intermixing culinary traditions just by the fact that your mom was from Goa, which has roots in the Portuguese colonies. Right, and so like even the flavors that is you know a lot of the flavors and the dishes that come out of Goa are also infused with an Indian sensibility, but then also this Western sensibility that comes from Portugal. And so a lot of the dishes are Western-inspired and Western-influenced. And it never seemed to me that this, was, that this would ever be a question. Um, it actually made it really easy, come to think of it now. Yes, of course. You're used to it. So, yeah. So in that way, you know, unconsciously it just helped to put me and, you know, mold my way of thinking when it came to cooking. Now, now you were actually being raised in India, correct? Yes, I was born and brought up in India, and then I left to come to America when I was about 20. And, and you w were seriously collecting science degrees, right? I was. <laughs> I was definitely <laughs> collecting a lot of them. Yeah, I, I never um, even heard of, uh, what is this, uh, uh, molecular genetics. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I came to school uh, to Cincinnati, and I um, signed up for the graduate program in molecular genetics, um, and that was my first, um, that is where I actually jumped into, like, learning about food from different cultures in America uh, when I moved here. And then you moved to D.C., which is, we lived in D.C., and just, you name any uh, culture, and you'll find a restaurant in D.C. that specializes in it. Yeah, so I moved to D.C. because uh, I had left my grad program, and then I wanted a little bit more research related to health conditions, and so I came to Georgetown, and I was working there at the Department of Medicine uh, doing research, and I decided I should get another degree at that point, so I went and got a degree <laughs> in public health policy because I actually thought I would live in D.C., um, you know, when you live in D.C., everyone's in politics in some form or the other. And I thought, oh, maybe I'd probably end up in science or health policy. So were you at Georgetown University Hospital? Yes, I was. I was at the hospital. I've been in the, the emergency room. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> a, a, just a funny story, quickly. Is <laughs> let, let, me, let me tell the story. I, I think I do it funnier. <laughs> <laughs> you do? She needed she needed a little extra liquid in the oh, in the Cuisinart. No, it was the blender. The blender. It was, it was the, no, it was it was a blender. 
So oh. she, so we took her to the hospital because she was bleeding profusely. Yeah. And oh, the, first, no. the first thing they, first thing they asked after, after they said, how did you cut your finger? They said, uh-huh. what, what were you cooking? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> what was, was that? It was bad. It was bad, yeah. I have still the I think, it was some, I think it was some kind of beef stew, and we did, and we did not throw it out. Oh, no, it was Asabuka. Asabuka, <laughs> and I was oh doing God. the, uh, you know, the, what's it called? I was doing the, the gramolata. The gramolata. And that's, oh, and, wow. I, and I thought that the blender had stopped, you know. It wasn't like the processor that would, you know, it could keep on going, even though it, it was supposedly stopped, and I put my finger in. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, that's so but then, I don't know how to handle that. <laughs> but anyhow, so that's my experience with Georgetown University Hospital. Okay, okay. So okay, so now you're in DC, and um, you, you're having more fun with um, seeing more results of your medical research and so forth, and scientific research. But but yeah. you, you were still you would rush home and start cooking because that's what got you excited. Yeah, because I think the thing was well, I'd always loved to cook even back in India, and I did want to go to culinary school. And my mom said no because she works in hospitality and said I don't think that's a stable career for you, um, and I don't. It's really hard. Um, and so I said, fine, I'll just go into something more stable, which I did. Um, and then when I moved to D.C., I was entertaining my friends. And I think around the time, my friends uh, were telling me, maybe you should write a food blog because uh, that's a thing that's happening right now. And it's a great way for you to share your food. Um, so I looked into it, and that's when I started blogging. It was also a great way for me to get away from the academia because I was working during the day in science and then going to school in the evening. And I needed a kind of mental break away from all of that and something creative because you viewed this as a creative outlet yeah okay so your blog is still going my blog is still going yes it is yeah and it's called a brown table correct so you have a a message in all this too don't you right i kind of wanted to, and this started with the food. I wanted to write about food that no one was writing about. And so I also wanted to talk about the food that I grew up with because no one in mainstream, anybody covering mainstream Indian food was actually talking about it. I didn't see it in restaurants. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that. And the second thing was the photography. I decided, um, and this was much after, um, you know, I decided to, do photos that were more instructional. Now, your father was a professional commercial photographer, you said. He is, yes. Uh, the funny thing is I actually never learned from him. <laughs> That's what you said. Uh, because I, I left home young uh, before I ever got into food and photography. And, um, you know, it's um, it just had to learn by myself because of the nature of a blog is so visual. Right. And but you have your own style of photography. I do. Yes, it took a couple of years to kind of develop my own point of view with food photography. I had worked in a pastry kitchen at this point, and I really wanted to kind of showcase the people that were at the back of the kitchen that we would never see in front. And having worked with them, I knew that they were coming from all walks of life. You know, some had health conditions. There were people that were Vietnamese who were Persian, Indian, and I had never seen them before in front of a restaurant. They were always at the back. And so I decided through my photos, perhaps I could kind of 
have people kind of connect with that and people would kind of see that there were people different because even mainstream media again in food media you would never see um a person of color um at least from what i had seen you would never see a person of color represented in food media in the visuals right and this how did you get this i mean it's it's rather startling to see these photographs where it's totally black but then mm-hmm. there are these two very experienced hands Uh, Mm -hmm. In in the spotlight, doing something Mm -hmm. like cracking an egg. I was just looking at that one. Or uh, uh, picking up a piece of salmon to to, uh, make gravlax. And how did you hit on this? I think it was something that spoke to me really emotionally. I always, I realized over the past years I'm obviously very visually driven. And one of the things for me um, with food photos, I always think of, photos like a ballerina on stage dancing and so the focus is always on her and that was something that even when I style or I'm thinking of how food sh- like a food photo should look that immediately comes to mind for me and so it kind of developed into its, to- its own style as I drew from those elements of what I had seen and I kind of wanted to pay homage to not only the ingredients and the final food di- the final food shot the beauty shot but also kind of the processes that were taking place, because those are so simple, but I feel uh, it's sometimes lost in cookbooks and in, you know, in uh, a lot of stuff that I had seen. And this was a way for me to kind of show how beautiful those moments are in my own way. You know, I've, I've discussed this with Lydia Bastianich, because in her cookbooks, she has many photographs where all you see are her hands, and they're so distinctive that I'd recognize them anywhere. And she said, everybody tells her that. Yeah. (laughs) I've been getting that now. You you what? I've been getting the same comment now. Okay, well, it's true. Your hands have personality. Okay. (laughs) No, there's another element here also, is that you you lived initially um, in... Uh, well, Cincinnati is actually south, but, uh, but um, your husband's family was from Appalachia? Yeah, they live on the border of Virginia and North Carolina. So you got now into this mix, you also have southern cooking. Right, because I have to, like, make him happy with what he <laughs> But, you know, there must be, we interviewed, and I can't remember her name, uh, another uh, an Indian chef who married... I think, into or moved to the South, Deep South. And uh-huh. she, her cookbook, her cooking, she fuses Indian spices with traditional Southern dishes. You know Is who I'm Asha talking Gomes? about? Hmm? Is it Asha Gomes? Uh, it might be. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, because we interviewed her about that book. Okay, so, okay. Uh, do you know the guys from Fat Rice, by the way, in Chicago? I do not know them, but I've heard of them. Yeah, well, they're, they lived in Goa. No, they lived in oh. Macau. Oh, Macau. Oh, I thought I it was Goa. Well, Macau's. Yeah, they are, it's, 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 it's the same intersection of Southeast, oh, yeah. Southeast Asian and, okay. Port, and Portuguese. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's it. Okay. That's it. They had it mixed up with Goa. Yeah, I, we have cousins that vacation in Goa all the time, so it must be nice. Okay. Oh, that's cool. So, okay, so you, 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 you have now the elements 
you have your Indian experience, you have your Southern exposure, you have right. your scientific background, um, and a, a passion for cooking. Right. So, what, what are you going to do next? Well, and you have you have the talent. You must have a photography gene as well. <laughs> so the result is this cookbook, and and right. I must say that it's probably the first cookbook that I found it was exciting just to read the glossary. <laughs> oh wow! I'm so happy you like that. Oh, um, there were things I've dealt with for years that I had no idea. Uh, really in detail until you itemize them and um, and, and describe them in detail. Uh, it, it, you, your classification is interesting. You have- Thank you. Yeah, so I really wanted to make uh, one of the things with the book. Sure, the book is, is in a way it's a memoir because I'm introducing myself to a whole new group of people. But at the second time, I want the big book to be useful, not only from the recipes. I want, of course, I want people to cook the recipes, but I also want people as home cooks to walk away with um, useful knowledge. And so one of the things I realized was over the past couple of years since I've been writing is that people are really scared of what they don't know, especially spices. And I decided we're going to create a flavor glossary. So everything is classified either by taste or by the type of the ingredient. Um, and everything would have a photo, a close-up photo, a macro shot, if you will, yeah. so it becomes easier to identify versus a lot of text. Because especially, I think, for people in general, a photo is much more memorable and they'll retain it versus a long passage on an essay on an ingredient. I think that's more useful to authors and people who are researching the subject. But from a user standpoint, a photo is what they really need and will be the most beneficial thing to them when they walk into a store and look for something. Yeah, I mean, you don't limit this to just, like, spicy, sweet, sour. I mean, you do uh, seriously hot. Then you do sour, sweetener, yeah. whole rice, salts, uh, yeah. seeds. I loved the seeds one. I thought that was fascinating. And I, yeah, I, I learned the difference between uh, black and, and green um, um, cardamom. Which I didn't. Yeah, know. I've been using <laughs> the green for everything, by the way. Yeah, so that was the thing when I started to write about food, and I also write a column for the San Francisco Chronicle. One of the things people would constantly ask me about was black and green cardamom. Why do you always say green? Why don't you just say cardamom? And I had to keep explaining. So I said they're so different. One is more camphorous. The black one is more camphorous. The green one is much more um, like cooler. And it's, it looks different. They're even size different. So, it's, you know, I really need to call this out. And so I said, you know, the book is probably the best place that I think this should go. And, um, yeah, I mean, my main goal with that flavor glossary, even I put florals in there. Yeah. Uh, and you know, rose, who, rose never water, seen orange blossom. Resins uh, and so roots. People need to know what they are. Resins and roots. I never even thought of that as a category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, how many taste buds do we have? How many taste buds do we have? Actually, it changes quite a bit depending on the stage of your life. Oh. Um, yeah, so Tell kids me. start out with a lot. And the reason why kids are so sensitive to taste and aromas when they're kids is because it's just overwhelming for them. As you grow older, you start to lose them. Really? And as, that's why as adults are much more open to tasting new things. Well, you know, they, yeah, a kid's 
their taste changes. Kids' taste. Yes, like, it does. Yeah. The first thing they like is basically sweets. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes, my granddaughter said, "Nana, I love candy and ice cream <laughs> and pie and cake." <laughs> Like that, like, like that's a, like, like that's a big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So all right. So we're talking about the fact that you've come up with these recipes. I don't even know how you do it. To tell you the truth, okay. <laughs> I mean, they, they, I would never in a million years think of some of these combinations. I mean, mm-hmm. have a butternut squash and tea soup. Yeah. <laughs> Who would ever think about that? There's at, least one, there's at least one person on the planet. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so one tell of the me, things I think I wanted to do was... Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me, what did you oh, want to do? I was going to say one of the things about the recipes and creating them. I was never... A, I really didn't want to write a book where people have, were already familiar with things because I'm also asking people to spend money on a book, right? And so it has to be something that's informationally new, um, it's not always possible to create a new recipe, especially now. But at least in my point of view was I want to play with flavor. And so let me do things different and try and come up with new ideas in terms of flavor. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I really worked hard at with the book. And the, do you know a, a restaurant um, and some um, chef family called Arzac in San Sebastian, Spain? Okay. Well, they have, uh, their food lab is uh, huge, and okay. it's floor the ceiling. If you look on our uh, website, you can see a photograph of it, and look under OTM and, and uh, pictures. pictures. Uh, Igor is the chef who, who works, he does all this experimenting on flavors, um, but okay. it's a full-time job. Well, they have, it is, yeah. Well, his, his lab has about 1,500 Different wow. different spices. Yeah. Okay. And the other one is the tartine uh, bakery lady. And, and yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember her. Well, yeah, she's now someplace else overseas or something. But anyhow, uh, she one of her uh, flavors that she was playing with was birched toast. <laughs> oh, I remember this. Was it a cookbook that came out on this topic? Yes. 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 Uh-huh. Okay. So, but anyhow, so well, it wasn't just burnt toast. No, but I mean, she was the, a whole it bunch was, of. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was the burn. It was the burnt remnants of some very special San Francisco bread. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh wow. No, no rubbish. No rubbish here. Okay. So I ask you a question here. Whatever led you to? Well, I'm going to say that there is some explanation of this. Is you have something. On, in different typeface or typeface color, uh, in the lower right hand portion of the pages, where you say the approach, which yeah. is really more or less an explanation of how you arrived or what you were researching Correct. for, and but what led you to of all things, smoked sardines and kumquat crostini. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I I like to contrast flavors quite a bit. The approach, okay, so to begin with, the approach was something that I wanted home cooks to f- understand how I'm thinking about things, uh, you know, hopefully to make it easier so they have the freedom then to just do what they want. Um, but with 
the recipe in question that you're talking about, I really wanted something that stood out. I love crostini and I love sardines, and I wanted something to make it more bold, you know, and I love what kumquats do. I feel kumquats are predominantly used in desserts. They are predominantly used in cocktails from what I have read and what I've seen, and I want, really wanted to do something savory with them because it's sweet like candy. The skin is sweet like candy, but the actual flesh inside is so tart. Yes. And I, when I played with, when I was looking at a kind of a citrus component to add to the crostini with the fish, kumquats had that bold uniqueness to it. There was the sweetness, and I didn't have to add sugar. Um, you had the citrus from the fruit, which was really bold, and it really worked well. Well, yeah, we had, I mean, I'm, I'm really in love with uh, kumquats. We had a tree in our yard in Australia, <laughs> and nobody okay. else liked them, so I got to eat all I wanted. <laughs> yes, you used to pick them right off the tree. <laughs> I oh, wow. Yeah, miss I've that. got a little dwarf plant in my backyard now that I'm waiting for. Hopefully, it'll give me some fruit this year. Oh, really? Yeah, we planted a dwarf Asian pear tree that's now like six feet tall, and I can't reach the top. Oh, gosh, wow. <laughs> Anyhow, here's another one. I want you to parse this for me. Okay. Turmeric and chili roasted red snapper with melon salsa. Yeah, okay. Um, so one of the things, I wanted a really simple, easy-to-make seasoning for fish. And the technique, even the technique that I used in the book is very different from traditionally what people do when they season fish inside. One of the things I've noticed, people always, even this is done with birds, people always traditionally in the West, they add seasoning on top of the skin, but never on the flesh. And in countries like India, usually they don't use the skin, so the flesh is directly seasoned with the meat. And that was one of the reasons why the fish is also cut in a very unusual way. It's sliced in between. Um, so that it's near the bone, near the spinal cord of the fish, and but it also touches the flesh, and so the flesh actually gets seasoned well. Um, the spice seasonings. I use the spice seasonings. Um, so there's turmeric, that which adds ob- obviously color, but it also adds its unique flavor. You've got the chili, and then you've got the vinegar, and the acidity from the vinegar and the chili. The chili adds heat, and so I really wanted those components to come out, but with minimal effort. And so it's basically three things, if you don't count salt, uh, that make this fish alive. And so it gets this bold note of flavor without uh, really doing too much to the fish. Right. I'll tell you, this is, I mean, we're never going to actually get a full explanation of, of the, the book because we haven't even talked that you have, you have drinks, you've got desserts, you've got a section on your techniques, you've got a section sure, on yeah. staples, You're, you believe in a, in a full, um, larder, I know. Um, it's, it's an amazing book and, and I think Thank it's, you so much. oh yeah, well, hey. <laughs> and let's not give, let's not give too much else away. So the people, so the people would force to buy a copy. Right. Again, <laughs> we're talking Nick wrong. Sharma. Can't be anything wrong with that idea. And, and his book <laughs> is Season, and it's it's just absolutely an amazingly inventive book. And this is after we we so we review probably six books a week, don't we, Rabbit? Wow. I don't know how many it is. It's a lot. 
So congratulations and much success with this book, Nick Sharma. And, and keep, Thank you so keep, much. keep us in touch with your adventures. I'm sure you'll be up to more stuff. Hopefully. And thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, well, I'm going to try some of these. I'm I'm not sure about it, but I'm going to try. (laughs) Thank you, Nick. Okay, I'll try that one. Nick, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Likewise. Thank you. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Well, uh, I don't know how many people are experimenting with the Instant Pot, but we sure got a lot of books about it. And a lot of the books we got using the Instant Pot had to do with Indian cooking. And I think when we interviewed Rinku Bhattacharya, <laughs> I did that. You did that. You did, did that, that well. <laughs> yeah. Boy, you're smart. She'd be proud of you. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I picked up a really outstanding um, book called Instant Indian. Uh, let's listen to Rinku. I'm reminded of a story that we interviewed a an Indian chef uh, who now lives in the U.S. And when he was leaving India, his mother made him pack a pressure cooker. Oh, my <laughs> brother was asked to pack a pressure cooker. <laughs> no, the, the voice you heard is our next guest, Riku Bhattacharya. Is that good, Riku? Rinku, yes. okay. Rinku. Rinku. Anyhow, um, her book is Instant Indian, and I was telling her, first of all, acknowledge that this is the only authorized uh, Indian cookbook by Instant Pot, who's the, the producer, the maker, the idea behind this motor cooker. Uh, and then I asked her, uh, I told her how many other Instant Pot cookbooks that we got, including Instant Indian Pots. And what did you tell me, Rinku? Why is yours different from all these other books? Well, I'm sure they all are unique in their own way. But what I've tried to cover in my cookbook is the regional diversity of Indian cooking. So it's more than just a quick fix Indian cookbook. It introduces the reader to the different culinary styles that coexist and comprise the body of cooking. That's Indian cooking. The second thing is I've actually done a lot with the multiple features that the Instant Pot has. For example, I've done a lot of fermenting, steaming, things like that. And I think those two stand out to me as highlights of my cookbook. The fermenting is something I would be interested in doing with with an instant pot. Um, Mm -hmm. So you do the different functions. How many functions are there? Well, that depends on the model you're buying. It ranges anywhere. The baseline has about... Seven, 
and it goes all the way up to 10 different functions. You don't quite use all of them equally, but some of them, as I said, are more attractive to me than the other. Like I love the rice cooking mode a lot. I think it works very well with Indian rice dishes such as pilafs and biryanis. The yogurt mode is amazing. I'm making homemade yogurt very essential to the Indian kitchen after a very long time. I don't have to worry about it. And, of course, like I said, I use the same mode for fermenting batters for things like dosas and idlis, which are South Indian breakfast foods. But do you think that it saves you a lot of time, or um, what? What is it? Is it more efficient? Does it produce a better product? What What do you think is the main draw for this? Personally, for me, the main draw is the fact that it cooks and turns off unattended, because as you mentioned, the pressure cooker is very comfortable in the Indian kitchen. We have been using it for generations. It's extremely important and valuable. And I will, what people don't realize, a stovetop pressure cooker actually cooks a little quicker, apples to apples, than the instant pot. But it does not turn off by itself, and you do need to monitor it. You cannot set the timer. So that's what makes the instant pot. So you Very can, attractive. Yeah, you can set the timer on all of these things, huh? Yes, yes. And I mean, so for someone like me, who is constantly on the go, I mean, I'm working, I have two young children, I find it amazing that I can get something started, leave, come back, and finish it or have it finished. In fact, a lot of my recipes, I've developed breaking them apart in between my errands. Amazing. Now, Rinku, are you actually a chef or are you just a super-duper cook? I'm a super-duper cook. (laughs) Good. I'm coming to your house. (laughs) We love it. I love cooking and it's a passion for me more than just something I've learned. Uh And um, what what part of India are you from? I am from uh, eastern India and my husband's from north India. Oh, so you have two different cuisines there. Yes, already, exactly. Do you know an Indian female chef called Madhur Jaffe? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. By the way, she's coming out with an instant pot cookbook in May. Is she really? I thought the interesting thing she told us when she she did an interview with us probably 14 years ago now, you know what she used to do in India? Yeah, sure. No, I'm asking Rinku. She was an actress. Yeah, yeah. she was a movie. She's a movie star. <laughs> yeah. she still does some, um, you know, some acting. But she said she said she had to learn how to cook to make a living. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, there were there were no parts for for Indian born and raised and experienced Indian female movie stars, stars right? Mm-hmm. At the time, yeah. So she had to cook. <laughs> so she had, so she had, so she had to cook for a living. I thought that was pretty funny. I just read something about her lately. She's doing something new, but it's not just the cook. Well, Rinku said she's doing a yeah. Cookbook. There was something else having more to do with acting, I think, but I don't know. Um, so now, take us through like let's pick pick a recipe and take us through um, the various functions that you. 
bring to this recipe from the Instant Pot? Well, I could take, it's a relatively complex one, but sure. I could Go take the Idli recipe. Idli's are steamed rice cakes. And what I do with the batter, of course, after it's ground, it's fermented. And that uses the yogurt setting. It ferments for about seven hours. And let me tell you, if you're dealing with the East Coast winter, which is very unpredictable, mm-hmm. something that's your guaranteed results in seven hours is pretty good. So you then have the batter. These cakes are then steamed. And in order to steam them, I'm using the steaming function for the instant pot. So that's one recipe that's using two functions. And most of the other recipes are using what is considered the sautéing function, where the spices are prepared in the the base, and then you're using the pressure cook function. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, you get that. It's all in one pot, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, given that I'm a huge fan of the device, what I will say is, it doesn't replace everything, but having said that, it gives you another very convenient, relatively efficient cooking platform. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're a big fan of it. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, did you propose the cookbook, or did uh, uh, Mr. Wang ask No, you? my publisher, really, the, the book is published by Hippocrine Books. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, you know, this, um, my uh, hairdresser bought, uh-huh. bought an Instant Pot. And uh, he knows I have a lot of cookbooks. And <laughs> <laughs> so he wanted an, an Indian Instant cook, Cooker book. And guess what? He uh-huh. has one. Guess what? He has one now. <laughs> does he? <laughs> yeah, he does. Well, yeah, I he he likes oh, but he's been waiting this whole time, by the way, to get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave him the um, another one that was supposed to be the same, and it was, it, I mean, I, I have another Instant Pot cookbook, but uh-huh. it, uh, not Indian, uh, although there were some Indian recipes in it, but it, it, it was really not an Instant Pot. The recipes were developed for a pressure cooker, and so it didn't oh. give all the other functions at the time, so he's waiting for this one. <laughs> I see, Okay. <laughs> Well, hopefully he'll like it. Yeah, I think he will. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems to me to be very thorough. It's like you've really worked with this for uh, a long time to learn it all. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, though, given that this is my third cookbook, it does come together quicker than the other cookbooks because there are actual recipe testing and working with the recipes the food cooks quicker. So, right, and it's less mess, and as you said, yeah, you can go yeah, off and do yeah, other things yeah, and not have yeah. to babysit the thing. Yes, exactly. So quite often I'm able to write up a recipe right along with the time I'm making it, even when I'm retesting it. I make my notes and I have it. As I said, all things considered, in some ways the book came together quicker than some of my other cookbooks. But mm-hmm. it also does have less narrative than some of my other cookbooks. Yeah. So I think it 
Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of narrative, actually, does it? No, no. Is 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 your draft of the book covered in splashes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Tell, walk us through this. Doi mach fish poached and fragrant yogurt sauce. How would you do that with an instant pot? Okay, so that is a very traditional Bengali dish from the eastern state of West Bengal. It is significantly, obviously, simplified because one of the things I've done, the fish traditionally, is fried. I am eliminating that step. But the base of the sauce is caramelized onions. So I'm turning on the salt mode and cooking it, cooking the onions low and slow to develop the flavor. It gets some fragrant spices. And after that, what is interesting, the Instant Pot actually has low pressure and high pressure settings. In fact, the model called Ultra has a no pressure setting. Yeah, that one was, I was confused by that. Well, what is useful is, I mean, that's less of a pressure cooker. That's where the Instant Pot is getting more into just a cooking pot. So I do use that for steaming certain things. But anyhow, back to this fish, what I do add is some yogurt sauce, and you add the fish. It is actually poached using the low-pressure setting, which is very good for fish and seafood because the high pressure sometimes is a little too harsh. And after that, it gets folded in with nuts and raisins, and it's served with rice. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm we're, having, we're having fish tonight, but I don't have an instant pot. <laughs> we don't have an instant pot. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I think that there are a lot of people that probably are going to be getting instant pots for Christmas. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think uh, that we should recommend this book. If you like Indian food and you're getting an instant pot for Christmas, be sure to get Rinku's book called Instant Indian, a classic foods from every region of India made easy in the instant pot. Well, you covered it for sure, Rinku, and it's great to be talking to you. Much success with your book. All right. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. So. Well, we started out by wishing our son a happy birthday, um, because that's the chronological order this happened, the, the year he was born. Um, he came first, and then came Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes. So, so we wish you all a Merry Christmas. Yeah. And, and, we, and we won't sing, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> and not happy birthday and not Merry Christmas. Thank you. Anyhow, that's... All we have until same time, same place next week. We hope we'll see you then. Till then. In the meantime, may all your wishes come true. Bye-bye.